Sadly, we know that we have lost Oklahomans to, to this virus, and we know and can anticipate that this will continue to happen. What's going to change the game and keep things moving in the right direction at this point is really individual action. A lot of uncertainty, a lot of fear, um, but I'm just here to tell Oklahomans we are going to get through this. I'm Ben Felder with The Frontier, and this is COVID-19 in Oklahoma, a daily podcast bringing you the latest info and insight into how the coronavirus is impacting our state. Through interviews and conversations, this podcast is about context and clarity during this challenging time. Today is Monday, April 6th. On today's episode, I speak with Oklahoma House Floor Leader John Eccles. Last week, Governor Kevin Stitt declared a health care emergency, calling the state legislature back from its pause to fill a budget shortfall of more than $400 million. The legislature is also facing a deficit for the 2021 budget of well over $200 million. But first, here's a review of the latest coronavirus news. On Sunday, The State Department of Health reported 93 new cases of COVID-19 in Oklahoma, bringing the total to 1,252. There are now 330 Oklahomans in the hospital due to the coronavirus, and statewide deaths increased by 4 to 46. The four additional deaths included three people in Cleveland County and one in Seminole County. All four were over the age of 65. On Monday at 1 p.m., the State Board of Equalization will hold a special virtual meeting to begin the formal procedures necessary for the state legislature to tap into the state's savings account, as Oklahoma faces a nearly $416 million revenue failure for the remainder of the fiscal year. Normally, this revenue failure would automatically result in 6.2% budget cuts to all state agencies. But Governor Stitt said he wants to use some of the state's rainy day fund, which is at $800 million. Representative John Eccles is part of the Republican leadership in the House, which will drive much of the conversation around budget matters in the coming weeks. In recent years, a revenue failure has meant cuts to state services. I asked Representative Eccles if that is likely this year. Uh, No, it is not. As a matter of fact, uh, the citizens can know we are not going to cut this year from the revenue failure. We are coming in on Monday And I'm hoping I have the votes to get it all done on Monday, um, where we will fill the budget hole completely uh, and there there will not be any cuts for this budget, meaning the the budget cycle we're in right now. And that so that's because uh, the rainy day fund will help fill that gap. It's a common it's a combination of the of the rainy day fund and the stabilization fund. Um, We've done two things. I mean, obviously, we've talked a lot about how. We've increased our savings. We're at $1.2 trillion in savings. To put that in perspective, when we went through the last budget downturn, we had $600 million in savings. Um, so it, and we did that a couple different ways. Yes, we saved more money, increased the rainy day fund, but we also created a new methodology for oil and gas. So we stabilized oil and gas and put a little more savings in. Uh, we call it stabilization fund. Um, we're going to be taking money from a little bit of each of the pots 
to both fill up the budget and fill up the 1017 fund. And so this is really a, kind of a, a double punch to Oklahoma's economy. Of course, we've got the coronavirus related uh, declines with the closure of businesses and restaurants and just less travel and less less people spending money. But you know, even just before the pandemic really started to spread across the country, uh, you know, oil was taking a hit, and that obviously means quite a bit here in Oklahoma. Well, you're exactly right, Ben. And the, the law of supply and demand is undefeated, and oil is seeing it firsthand. You have uh, what is going on with with Russia and Saudi Arabia absolutely going to war with United States shale producers in the oil and gas industry, driving up uh, supply. And then at the same time, you have COVID hit, which creates a worldwide drop in demand for oil. Um, That's really hard on Oklahoma. I mean, COVID alone did not cause the budget shortfall that we have right now. It wasn't just COVID. Now, COVID didn't help. Without COVID, we probably would have survived this oil and gas uh, spike without a budget shortfall, but it was really a perfect storm together. I mean, we were already trending in a negative direction with what's going on. Um, and what's even harder is a lot of this in Oklahoma is totally outside of our control. Yeah. I mean, whether or not whether or not Russia continues or Saudi Arabia uh, continues to harm their own people because that's what they're doing. Um, what I'm hoping is going to happen you're seeing some real bipartisan noise on the federal level. Uh, we give Saudi Arabia a large amount of aid, and it's considered a United States ally. Um, however, Saudi Arabia, again, has absolutely declared war against United States shale producers. Uh, now there's more of a bipartisan coalition on the federal level that's waking up and saying, hey, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. And I think that's our best bet to make this go away. And hopefully that happens sooner rather than later. Do you think there might be a sense of urgency on that front because of the overall economic downturn related to the to the pandemic? I mean, I wonder if, you know, there's there, every industry right now is kind of is kind of hurting. But, you know, the energy sector is obviously a really critical one, uh, you know, not just Oklahoma, but to the country. Do you feel like there's maybe a sense of urgency at the federal level because of this overall economic uh, decline that we're facing? Absolutely. And that's a great way to put it. Then it's been estimated that when the new numbers come out, unemployment in the United States is going to be at 30 percent. That's higher than depression area unemployment. During the depression, we did not hit a nationwide 30 percent unemployment. And we're we're not through. I mean, I think most of us that watch this know uh, we all want to get back to normal as quickly as possible. But we've got a little more time ahead of us before we do that. So the 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 economy Right now, we've got this this false dichotomy that some people are wanting to play that we have to choose between saving our citizens and destroying the economy or saving the economy and destroying our citizens. And I don't buy any of that. I think what we need to do is save our citizens and then figure out how to save the economy. Um, And I think one of the ways is what you're talking about with the sense of urgency. One of the great ways to get our economy going after we've done all the things we need to do with social distancing and and sheltering in our homes is to for the United States to get tougher with Saudi Arabia specifically. Um, we can get as tough as we can with Russia, but we don't give we don't give assistance to Russia. Russia is not a United States ally. Russia's Russia's a United States enemy is true strong strong of a word in today's climate, but certainly not an ally and as close to an enemy as we have. But Saudi Arabia is supposed to be our friend. We need to start start changing some things. Stop giving them 
the resources that we give them until they stop hurting us and, again, hurting their own people. Because eventually the Saudi Arabian people are going to turn on the royal family because it hurts them, too. Yeah. You know, we're talking about these immediate economic needs, but when you look ahead to the, the next fiscal year budget, fiscal year 21, uh, there's already a projected shortfall of well over $200 million for that. I know one thing at a time here, but when you look ahead to next year's budget, which will be, you know, on the agenda for the legislature to complete here in the coming months, what uh, what's the scenario likely for that? Are, are we going to see cuts next year, or do you feel like we can fill that gap as well? Uh, so, um, so now I'm going to tell you, I always have to preface this with I'm about to give you a John Eccles opinion as opposed to a majority leader opinion. Um, oftentimes when I say things without that preface, it's been taken as a caucus position. Um, but I can give you my position as sure. opposed to, because I don't know that the caucus has us that position yet. Um, my position is we should not cut the budget next year. We have money in savings. We should use the money we have in savings to stabilize the budget because we have every reason to believe the federal government is going to be sending some money to the states in order to stabilize next year's budget. We should believe that because that's always what's happened. That happened during the recession. And Oklahoma is not the only is not the only state in this position. So now I would have a word of warning and caution. If we do that, and this is the first time in the history of our nation that after a, after a tragedy like this, the federal government doesn't help states fill budget short holes, that will make the year after very difficult. But as a policymaker, you have to make the best decisions you have with the information you have at the time. I don't think there's a reason to cut right now, because I believe when we do come out of it and restart the, the economy, you know, if it wasn't for the oil and gas and oil and gas downturn, the economy in Oklahoma was going really well. We, we, were, ginning, we were ginning up before this oil and gas hit. Um, I don't think now is the time for for mass cuts to our budget when we have the money in savings. Yeah. You know, the legislature isn't going to be able to get everything done this year that it might during a normal session. But what issues do you think are still going to be a priority in the weeks to come? Yeah. So I expect the legislature to come in, uh, come in on Monday. I expect the next time we'll be in will be the first part of May. Could be a little earlier, could be a little later. At that time, I expect we will be doing policy bills. So here's what's going on with policy bills right now. Um, Leader David and I are spending a lot of time figuring out what we consider the key issues are. Uh, what I'm considering for my key issue of policy bills are bills that deal with health care or the economy. Uh, the two things we're really talking about. How are we propping up our health care system? How are we getting our economy back, back and running after we've done what we need to do with staying at home and social distancing? Uh, in order to protect our citizens. Those will be the major issues. I would say we're going to hear between, if I was guessing, and this is just a guess, 20 to 50 bills. Um, and a lot of that then depends upon how bad it is. Um, right now, for example, uh, because we're kind of in the thick of it right now, and you can't have groups of more than 10, you're going to see when we go into the Capitol on Monday a very different process than what you're used to doing. Members are mostly going to be in their office. They're only going to come on the floor to vote. Everything is going to take longer. We still will have questions and debate and those types of things, but everything is going to take longer because we have a deliberative process, but we're doing it safely um, and following all CDC guidelines. I'm hoping by May, the CDC will be allowing groups of say 15 or 20, even that would be helpful. 
But if we're still looking at groups of 10, the legislature is going to follow the same guidelines we have. As long as I'm the floor leader, the legislature, at least the House, is going to follow the same guidelines we ask every other citizen to follow. And that really slows down the process. So the amount of bills you're capable of considering just because of time um, is much lower. And then I, I might also add, I'm an Oklahoma City representative. There's risk to my city and my constituents every time the legislature meets. The last time the legislature met, we had a minimum of five people that we know of, of a, basically a small COVID outbreak, two members and three staff. And that's just that we know of. So if the legislature is going to meet, I'm going to do everything in my power to make it as safe as possible in the systems that I set up uh, with the help of uh, Minority Leader Virgins, who's been wonderful to work with on these. And it's only going to be for the most important bills. Yeah. What do you think the legislature's role is going to be post-coronavirus, or at least when we begin to kind of return to some sense of normalcy? I mean, what state-level policy issues may be important, do you think, as you think ahead in terms of this, you know, post-COVID world we might find ourselves in? You, you know, one of it is convincing people that these additional, some of these additional measures taken on by the governor and by government really were temporary. I mean, we're, we're dealing with a lot with, um, on my end, uh, especially in my party, with, with some concerns over government overreach, which I think are the right thing to do at the time. Uh, but getting rid of those, getting rid of those regulations, getting back to work. And then one of the things I hope happens is we look at some of the innovative things we did during this, uh, this, this crisis and see if we should make them better. We've made it so much easier now to, for example, use licenses across state lines. Um, the, gov- the governor, at my request, issued an uh, executive order that made it much easier for nurses and other healthcare professionals to get back in, to get their license back, get a cheaper license. Maybe we used to take away licenses of individuals who hadn't paid their state taxes. Maybe instead we need to encourage them to go back to work so they can pay that money and we don't have a whole other problem. I think those are the things we're going to be talking about. I think a lot of it's going to be, like I said, economic issues. Um, you know, anyone listening, and I say this over and over again, humanity's not going to end from COVID-19. This, this will end. And I love, that's what I love about your question because it presupposes the reality. We're going to beat this. But once we beat it, a lot of what we're going to be looking at is how we restabilize our economy. Um, and I think that will really be the talk on the federal and the state level for at least the next two years. Yeah. You know, the, the final question for you. Uh, the legislature is kind of used to having a voice and a lot of attention during the biggest issues that have faced the state. Um, but during this pandemic, because you guys have been on recess and, and obviously the governor is the lead and other state agencies, um, I'm curious, how, how would you assess his, his handling of this, of this crisis? You know, right now there'll be a lot of time to, to second guess the governor. Um, you've known me well enough. You've known me well enough. That's normally not, that's not, uh, in my nature. Um, I'll, I'll say this. There's no pandemic playbook. And I think when this is all over, there'll be lots of times to second guess what I've done, what the speaker's done, what the pro tem's done, and frankly, especially what the governor has done. Right now at this stage, I, I probably wish he would have 
a little earlier. If he was going to issue shelter at home, as he calls it, Mm -hmm. I do wish he would have done that a little earlier. Um, I also believe shelter at home is functionally or safer at home. I should say safer at home. is functionally safer. shelter in place. I think they're the same thing. Um, I agree when David Holt came out and just said, Hey, these are the same thing. This is what we're doing. Um, I do wish that would have happened, but I also got to give the governor a ton of credit. I mean, he jumped right in. All these regulations we're talking about stopping. He stopped him right away. He, he encouraged additional healthcare resources. He started meeting w- immediately with uh, healthcare personnel. He's done a good job having press conferences every day saying what's been going on. So I, I think overall the governor's done a good job in a very, very difficult situation. And, and I will actually say, I think the legislature has done a better job than we ever could have done had we been in session. Because I don't, I don't know what every member spends their day, but I know how I spend my day, and I know how I think a lot of them do. I have never had this much contact with my constituents. I mean, I wake up early in the morning, and I'm on social media, or I'm on the phone, or I'm answering messages. I'm talking to people about how to get testing. I'm talking about people how to deal with their unemployment. I'm talking to small businesses about how to comply for 7A. Right now, I would give the legislature an incredibly high grade because, and I mean Republican and Democrat, you go on most of our social media pages, you are going to see us just pumping out information, answering questions, actively engaging. Um, I'm not going to tell you that that was my goal when we decided to recess to a call of the chair. We really recessed to the call of the chair because it was unsafe to meet in such a large group at one time. But looking back, that is the best thing the legislature could have done because where we needed to be was in our district, helping our constituents boots on the ground. And I'm really pleased of what our members have done. That's going to do it for today's episode. You can find complete COVID-19 coverage at readfrontier.org. For The Frontier, I'm Ben Felder. Stay safe and healthy. I'll be back with you on Tuesday.